G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. I would imagine it was like a, a Jesus freak hippie type character holding up a sign and that sign said John 3.16 and I started crying. This is all in the dream, although in real life I woke up crying and I just woke up and I said to Narelle, because I didn't know the Bible at all, I had no idea what John 3.16 was. So I said, Narelle, what's John 3.16? The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have more of our conversation with Tony and Narelle Davenport, who are sharing their story with us and how God has been working in their lives. Last time, we heard how Narelle put her faith in the Lord right before they were about to be married. She told Tony, and his only response was that it won't matter as long as it didn't affect him. Well, as we'll hear today... It did matter, but it wasn't for another 17 years or so that God really got his attention in a very unique way. Up to that point, Tony and Narelle had been living an adventurous life as Tony was a successful news producer in England and then in Hong Kong. Today, we'll pick up their story right after Narelle tells Tony she's become a Christian. Once again, they're chatting with Eric Scadabo from their home on the Gold Coast. I just remember that I um, I was a very independent person and uh-huh. I would not think of other people in all my own actions and everything I did, like when I travelled overseas by myself, um, when I booked the ticket to Canada, which I booked, by the way, to try and get a job in Canada because I had a Canadian passport, of all things, because uh-huh. my father was born in Canada, in oh, Edmonton. Okay. But are you saying that at that point in your life, you weren't really conscious of how your actions were affecting other people. Is that kind of what you're saying? No, sort of I was, but I wasn't really. And I didn't, I was just sort of selfish and mm-hmm. independent. But at the same time, and Narelle was the only one that would put up with me. I was hopeless with uh, women and how to have a relationship because mm-hmm. my parents were actually like, there was nothing overtly intimate in my parents' life. They were, they were not, you know, not a lot of romance there. No, not a, it was sort of like peck on the cheek type stuff. And mm. we weren't a very huggy family. Yeah. Um, went right across to all that family that I was brought up with in both sides of the family, my father's side and mother's side. There wasn't a, a huggy. So I wasn't really good at all that yeah. intimate relationship thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, look, I knew Narelle was uh, you know, someone who understood me and put up with me. And, <laughs> uh, and so you agreed to marry her. Yes. But as you say, that independence contributed to me not proposing first because I sort of didn't really know. You know, we, we had a good life, uh, but that absolute commitment, it was mm-hmm. not something I was able to do at that time. I mm-hmm. was just, I was sort of like socially incompetent and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. Narelle <laughs> took control of that situation. <laughs> I'm good uh, on you, Narelle. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit more pro-action. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> that way, yes. I'm starting to get that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> For big decisions, I was a bit of a sitter on the fence. 
But there was no way I was going to um, break out because I did, I did love Norell in my own way. That love developed uh, over the next uh, few decades, basically. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at that time, I was committed to her and I really wanted to do the best by her. Mm-hmm. And as Norell said, as long as I didn't have to do all the God thing, I was fine. Oh, okay. Norell, what happened next in your marriage? Um, well, I do remember one story which really sustained me throughout the years, and it was not long after we got married. We were um, playing a game of cards with um, my sister and her husband, Mm -hmm. and one minute I was looking at Tony the way he is. He was sitting beside me, and the next minute I saw him saved. He was Mm. sitting beside me, and he was saved. He knew the Lord. Mm. But it was like a gift of faith. God put in my heart to Mm -hmm. sustain me, to know that whatever happened, Tony would become a believer. And that gift sustained me through Mm -hmm. all the years. Mm -hmm. And we had two children Mm -hmm. and the children were getting to an age. They just started school, but we were interested in travel. And um, Tony was interested in um, going overseas. And I was happy and willing to do that. I did ask the Lord about it and he told me that he was sending us out in his name so I had peace in that. Please, Tony, tell us about moving to London. Yes, Yes. so we got married and then there was a seven and a half uh, year journey after that, a a very interesting journey. But basically, we had a a good life in Brisbane. Um, The television industry was just absolutely wonderful to work for in in those days. It was Mm -hmm. just... uh, raking in the money and, and you get lots of uh, trips and uh, little big Christmas parties and that sort of thing. And professionally, it was very rewarding. But the station I was with was taken over in the late 80s by a, an owner who just was incompetent. And this owner would make us uh, run stories on other companies that he had, which would totally no journalism ethics at all. And it was just interference. It was really dreadful. But So I said, I've done my 10 years. I'll get my long service leave. I'm going to pack up and go for my dream to be an international correspondent or some, somehow involved in international news. I'd always loved international mm-hmm. news. Yep. So we packed up and uh, took the kids to London via... You know, Disneyland, Disney World. Um, you know, we saw the space shuttle take off at oh, uh, wow. Cape Canaveral. It was just amazing. Yeah. Um, and we settled in a beautiful place uh, south of London, and I would look for jobs in London, and eventually I found one with a big um, – the real owner was a big multinational media giant, and I got a job there and, and absolutely loved that. All during this, uh, Narell would – have her own Christian friends, but um, I still had no interest in, at, mm-hmm. at all in yeah. any, any of that sort of stuff. And then I got a promotion to go to um, Hong Kong and mm-hmm. manage yep. the entire Asia operation. Oh, wow. And a lot of travel there. And I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life because uh, Hong Kong is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we were able to have a house. We were able to have a uh, Filipino maid who helped oh, me yeah. well with the children. Oh, um, okay. So in your mind, you've made it. 
I mean, this is the dream. You're oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But at the same time, I was, again, I felt like I was more married to the job than Narelle and the mm. kids at the time. Yeah. Looking back, I whip myself on the back every day over that. But it was a good life. And while we were in Hong Kong, we um, I can't remember it clearly, but for some reason... I was tempted to buy a retirement home up in the Whitsundays. We had a 14% return investment Mm -hmm. and we'd sold our house in Brisbane and didn't want the money just sitting in the bank. So I bit off more than I could chew and bought this place and it ticked over okay. And then six months later, it had collapsed. Hmm. It just crashed. I won't go into the details, but it it just crashed and... um, for the first time in my life, I'd lost control of my life. I lost all my equity and mm-hmm. I was struggling to maintain the lifestyle for me and the kids that we'd been used to. And we eventually went back to England with this huge debt hanging over us. Mm. And we did sell that property, but at a huge loss. Yeah. And so I had debts all over the place. So you went from living the dream being the foreign correspondent, making all this money, having a servant, to being in financial strife. Absolutely. So how did that impact you internally? I just tried to struggle through and trying to work out switching money from bank account to bank account and uh, asking for extensions uh, or some kind of relief. Yeah. So you were feeling the squeeze. Absolutely feeling Mm -hmm. the squeeze. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I initially wasn't uh, any way spiritual, mm-hmm. although I do remember one incident where I did something that I never would have thought I would have done before. Mm-hmm. One of my kids was getting bullied at school, mm-hmm. at, at boarding school, and I was to go and see the, you know, talk with the housemaster and mm-hmm. uh, talk to the other, other kids who were doing the bullying, and I pleaded with the kids and I just broke into tears Hmm. and that was that is so unlike me you know we were a very cry family as I mentioned before and um I thought oh gee that's strange okay well no so so maybe it was affecting you more than you thought oh absolutely but I wasn't able to identify it spiritually at that Mm -hmm. at that time Mm -hmm. it stopped the bullying yeah okay Narelle Um, what happened next yeah well I could see that he was hitting against the wall he was mm-hmm. getting to that point where everything was in, in closing around him. But it was a very, very stressful time. And mm-hmm. I would keep in contact anyway with my friends in my original church. And the friends lived just behind us when we were living in Brisbane in our first property. And I became friends with them and started to worship and have a relationship with them when the children were little. And mm-hmm. Tony did meet them. We often had dinner with them. So he had knowledge of them, even though he didn't believe what they were believing. He wasn't a Christian, but Mm -hmm. he quite liked them as people. Mm -hmm. So when we were in this situation in the UK and they wanted us to um, fire sale the house, then I contacted them again. I said, this is what's happening. Can you please keep us in prayer? Mm -hmm. Not expecting anything else to happen. And then we get a call. I get a call and hear that... um, One person, my best friend, who was living in America at that time, who was connected with the church, she was going to fly over and her brother-in-law from Australia, who was connected in the same church, they both flew over together and came over and spent the week with us. I mean, that's God. 
Mm -hmm. this, this church paid for it. They sent them over to be with us in the UK at this very difficult time. Yeah. And it was the week that Princess Diana died. Huh. So um, it was quite a dramatic time anyway. Mm, so yeah. they came and spent time with us. And um, then I think they mentioned to Tony about the financial things. But we really didn't get to the nitty-gritty of it all till the last day before they left. Tiny bit of background about those um, Christian friends. They lived next door to us mm -hmm. and um, they would have sneaky little attempts to try and convert <laughs> me by, by saying, Tony, it's like having this kind of ice cream and this kind of ice cream. And it, it just made no sense to me whatsoever. Huh. But anyway, these two friends came over and... Um, one of them came from a family that uh, came as 10-pound refugees from Europe and they had a really tough upbringing. Mm -hmm. And this guy, he was you know, he only went to school till he was 15 or so and he still became a millionaire. He, oh. he was smart enough to develop his own business. Uh -huh. So that's why he could afford to come over and give me so-called business financial advice. Mm -hmm. But he spoke to me on the night of um, Diana's funeral. We had a bit of a talk. And we were just speaking about it, and he, he snuck in these things of God, and he said to me, Tony, do you want to know God? And I swallowed, I squirmed, and I reluctantly said, yes. Oh, even though you had all these reservations. Absolutely. And I thought, oh, why did I say yes? I thought, oh, why did I say yes? And I went to bed, and that night... I had the most amazing dream. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is once again chatting with Tony and Narelle Davenport, who were sharing their story as a couple with us. As we're hearing, Tony was beginning to feel the strain from some risky financial investments he'd made. Next, we'll hear how God gets his attention in a very unique way. All that and more when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, once again, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Tony and Narelle Davenport, who are sharing their story as a couple and how God has been working in their lives. As we heard before the break, Tony was beginning to feel the strain from some risky investments he'd made, and the financial pressures were really starting to get to him. Now, here's more of their story. Please tell us about that dream. Okay, it was like a scene out of um, 2001, A Space Odyssey, a mm. bit of a crazy movie. Yeah. But it's like where the guy is in the Stargate hole. It's like you have a red, reddish, pinkish wall with other little tinges of colour in it, and you're going at astronomical speeds towards mm. that wall, and mm. it keeps splitting up into half, and you're zooming down at a rate of knots. Uh, well, not, 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 you know, multiple speeds, mm. almost, well, probably faster than the speed of light. Mm. Um, and you're going down that, and then there'd be flash frames all the way through as we hurtle through that uh, that wormhole, that mm -hmm. vortex, whatever yeah. whatever you call it. Yeah. And 
fresh frames. I would imagine it was like a, a Jesus freak hippie type character in, mm. in robes with a beard, long hair, huh. holding up a sign. You know, it was a stick and the sign on that stick. And that sign said, John 316. Mm. And I kept seeing this flash frame all the time. This character was at the Super Bowl. He was at the Olympic Games. Mm. And you'd actually see a sports event and huge crowds. And then he was at uh, well, probably college football matches in America, mm -hmm. baseball, ice hockey, all sorts of sports events kept flash framing through this plunge and down the huge rabbit hole to nowhere. Mm -hmm. In the movie, at the end, after the, the astronaut gets through the, the wormhole, there's a picture of a new life, mm -hmm. of a baby in the fetus, and that's at the end of the movie. And this was like me going down that vortex into a new life. Mm. Um, so I remember that. It was just, it seemed to go on forever. How yeah. long it was, I don't know. It might have been a millisecond for all I know, but it just seemed to go on forever. And mm -hmm. then I felt a huge love for my mother-in-law, Narelle's mother, mm -hmm. um, who I didn't know that well, but she was a really lovely, kind person. And I started crying. This is all in the dream. Yeah. Although in real life, I woke up crying. Uh -huh. And I just woke up and I said to Narelle, because I didn't know the Bible at all. I had mm -hmm. no idea what John 3.16 was. So I said, Narelle, what's John 3.16? And she just be, <laughs> And I, I thought like I she, she levitated. <laughs> she was as she reached for her Bible and then read me John 3.16. Wow. Narelle, what did you think? Oh, I was thrilled, obviously. I was so excited. I was excited from the night before when he's even agreed to say, yes, he wants to know God. Mm -hmm. And I, I just thought, oh, it was just amazing. And with all my prayers, all my dreams, mm -hmm. to see God save him and rescue him mm -hmm. and give him a new heart. And it was absolutely thrilling. And um, I, I read the scripture and I prayed the prayer. Well, I, I just also, it wasn't only the dream in the John 3.16 because I suddenly felt I had no fear. Yeah. I had no worry. I had no burden. Mm. I just felt an incredible release and so relaxed, absolutely relaxed. And um, it's like in that, um, I think it's Mark Cohn's Walking in Memphis song where he's mm. feet are 10 feet above uh, Beale, Beale Avenue. But my feet were 10 feet off the ground. I <laughs> really felt like I was floating. For that first week after that dream, I really felt that I was floating on air. It was just amazing. Yeah, but you still had all those financial pressures and your bleak financial situation, but yet you felt as if a huge weight had been lifted off of you. Absolutely. And uh, no, like I felt a love for Narelle like I've never, ever felt before. Mm -hmm. And my senses were so clear. I could hear clearer. I could mm. smell better. Oh, wow. I could see better. Everything just had absolute clarity to me. Although I was so worked up in the the adrenaline of it all, like I, mm. I crashed my car at one stage because I was so excited. <laughs> it wasn't a bad crash, but it would just put a big scrape on the side. But I just felt that difference. And, yeah, with the struggle still went on, but I just didn't care. I just said, well, let's just make sensible decisions and get through this. 
And, um, you know, like I had a little Bible and I read it going, we lived a fair way out of London and I commuted by train. Mm -hmm. So I just read on the train every morning and evening. And I used to laugh at people that did that, but um, I did it. I just felt so different. And Mm. the interesting thing is like I was the ultimate agnostic until then. I just wanted proof. Mm. And I had to weigh up, was there something psychological that happened to me? Mm. Did something change in my brain? I was trying to look for scientific explanations Mm -hmm. for what happened to me and I couldn't find any. It was a spiritual thing and I had to accept Mm -hmm. that God was real. Something had happened to me Mm -hmm. and that was just unexplainable in any other way but Mm -hmm. the spiritual and the evil one, the devil, didn't like you coming over to the light. Is that right? Oh, that, that's right. Yes. Um, I started having uh, the, the following nights when I went to bed, and this lasted for at least a year. I would see men uh, in shadows at night. As soon as mm-hmm. I shut my eyes, this happened, actually. Mm-hmm. And they would look at me with such an evil stare. They were angry. And every night, certainly for the first month or so after that salvation, I saw these evil eyes looking at me. And I got to be quite excited that they were looking at me because it meant that the devil was also real and the devil was angry, really angry (laughs) that I'd got to the other side. And um, it was like... So you had no fear of these eyes? No, no, not at all. No, not at all. I sort of said, okay, great, I'm doing well. And even now, (laughs) I think if I get the evil stare when I go to sleep at night, I don't get it very much. But I'm excited. It means, oh, I've done something good for God, and uh, the enemy doesn't like it. So then eventually you returned to Australia. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we we came back to Australia, and we joined like a a Norell's old friends at a home group uh, church, probably about 30, 40 people, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, probably yeah. at that time. Yeah. yeah, and we spent a lot of time. We have a lot of, lot of home group meetings, events meetings and prayer meetings and that sort of thing. And they kept me sustained. They were very good friends, very supportive, lots of prayer. Mm-hmm. One thing that did happen that uh, really was an attack from the enemy is that uh, one of our children sort of started... Uh, going off the rails? Yeah, yeah, gigs. A lot of people would say going off the rails and at one stage that child ran away from Mm -hmm. our house and Mm -hmm. they weren't very old. They were sort of 15, 16, I think, and just ran away from home, um, saying they were going to Tasmania on a road trip with some probably undesirable types. Mm -hmm. And we were distraught and took it to the church. The whole church prayed. Mm -hmm. And that night I got a call saying, I want to come home. Mm. And so we sent the bus ticket money and that child came home. So mm. that's so the power of prayer. But it was a, you know, like being a Christian is no easy walk. It's a lot of struggles. The enemy mm. sort of tries to you know, shake us up all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you've just got to be steadfast in your faith. And we've managed to do it, mm-hmm. but uh, it has been hard in many ways. So what year did you become a Christian? Uh, 1997. Okay. Diana's funeral night, yeah. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time and we need to wrap up our conversation, but can you kind of update us on what has happened since you became a Christian and what's happening in your lives now? So we struggled and struggled and struggled every way possible, just, you know, like bringing up kids to you know, have good lives, that sort of thing. Um, at one stage, God uh, woke me up in the night and said, resign from your job. And amazingly, I did. I did immediately the next morning. I, you know, it was such a, you know, such a thing on my heart. 
that I felt, and I, I had to do this, I went and resigned. The employers were very um, generous and allowed me to keep working for six months or so. And even then I didn't have a job and then a job came over in New Zealand. So I went worked in New Zealand for um, another five years. Then we came back to Australia, um, still with various troubles with children and that sort of thing. But all the time God was with us and uh, we, we got through those struggles, so much so that we've been able to travel in recent years. We've been to Israel twice, just absolutely mind-blowing, really, really enjoyed uh, traveling through there. Yeah, how did you get back on track financially? Oh, just by working and saving. And then when um, my parents passed away, uh, there was a little bit of money left over and that was our house deposit. Mm-hmm. So we got a house back. You know, oh, okay. Not a flash house, but something that's very comfortable for just the two of us. Yeah. And that's been an absolute blessing. Yeah, because we've had to rent all this time. Mm-hmm. After we lost the house the first time, we were never able to get on our feet to be able to have another deposit for a house. Mm-hmm. So that's why uh, a couple of years ago we were able to finally be able to have something that we could have as we're older that we didn't need to pay rent all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a real blessing. So the Lord has supplied your needs. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And even before I was a Christian, yeah. he supplied. Like there's so many times when I lived a risky life mm-hmm. and I never came to any harm when a lot of other people could have died, you know, mm-hmm. thinking you know, driving under under the influence, that sort of thing, which was you know, in teenage years. I've you know, walked across dangerous you know, places in Asia and mm. and God was there. You know, mm. He was there all the way. He's blessed us with our children and our grandchildren and we're still together after 40 years or 43 <laughs> yep. years probably. Yep. So, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a wild ride but a, an exciting one. Yeah. And you're both involved in your church? We are. We are. Yeah, I'm involved in the children's ministry and now Tony's is retired. He's looking at other things that he can be involved with. Um, that's correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the board um, mm-hmm. and sort of you know, do some sharing. I'm not, I'm not going to be a preacher. I just don't, I don't <laughs> have that gift. But I do like to tell my story. Well, Tony and Narelle, it's been a long journey, international journey, but also a long journey spiritually through financial strain and other challenges, but the Lord is good and you are both serving him and have been serving him for several years. Yeah, yep, that's so true. Thank you for your time, Eric. Thank you. Well, that was the conclusion of our two-part conversation with Tony and Narelle Davenport, who shared with us their story as a couple and how God has been working in their lives. And it was great to hear how far Tony has come over the years. He went from not really caring when Narelle had become a Christian shortly before they were married to fully surrendering his life to the Lord and is now deeply involved in his local church. As we heard to get our attention, God will sometimes allow suffering, adversity and trials in our lives. He wants us to understand that we need him and his guidance and direction. The Bible says that though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, if you trust and obey him, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And when you pass through waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Adversity comes so that we will draw closer to the Lord. 
Well, how about you? Are you going through trials right now and need help from the Lord? If you'd like to pray with someone about this, our prayer line is one 800 Pray for me. That's one 772 936 And we would love to pray with you on that number again. one 772 936 Well, thanks for joining us for Tony and Narelle's story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Salvation by knowledge, that's what I used to believe. So the more you know about the Bible, the closest you must be to God. You know, I'd hear some great messages about Jesus and salvation and the cross. But And every time I would hear about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, tears would start rolling down my cheeks. And I found that very, very annoying because I couldn't understand it. And that was like God through his spirit trying to reach into my heart and say, you know, this is where the power is. Eliezer Gonzalez was born in Switzerland in 1965 of Spanish parents who eventually moved to Australia. Unfortunately, they began to attend a legalistic church and Eliezer says his life became a series of do's and don'ts. We'll hear how God's grace eventually sets Eliezer free next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.